This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 42. You know, marriage is like a walk in the park. Only sometimes, it's a little like Jurassic Park. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm really glad that you're here. Today's episode, I'm featuring Liz Faircloth. Liz is half of the team that runs the DeRosa Group. It's a real estate investment group based out of New Jersey. And basically what they do is they, with their own financing as well as with pooling money from outside investors, put together real estate investment deals spanning several categories, uh, relatively both large and small. Uh, They have a heck of a little business going, which they started back in 2008, the greatest time in the world to get started in investment real estate, as anyone that knows anything about it um, can probably attest ever so sarcastically. They have a solid little business going, and they go over a lot. She goes over a lot of the details of how they're able to make that business work while working with your spouse in a professional manner. That's not something that's very easy to accomplish. Um, Most people that either try it, fail, or don't even try it at all because they're worried about the potential strife in the household that mixing the personal and professional can cause, which is something that is very, very real or can be very real. That's something that Liz talks a lot about and sort of what the boundaries are that they've been able to set together as a family in order to make this work. And they are absolutely making it work. This is a really great conversation. Um, As an aside, Liz has recently launched her own podcast with a co-host, which I'll get into a little bit more in the show notes of the show. But her show is called the Real Estate Invest Her podcast. It's a show that targets uh, women looking to invest in real estate and create financial freedom themselves. It's a great show. It just launched last week. So I hope you all can give it a little bit of love. You can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and all of that jazz. But that being said, uh, let's go ahead and get to the interview because I had fun with this one. Thanks a lot for listening. And without further ado, I bring you Liz Faircloth. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Liz, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, Jason. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no worries. Uh, So the the audience had a pretty quick flyover about your background and what you guys are doing up there, Um, but I wanted to see if you could give the audience a little bit more of a deeper background about what your... what your team does, what you guys do up there, and just sort of take the conversation from there. Sure, absolutely. So so my husband and I actually um, have a business. We're based in uh, New Jersey. Uh, we do we do quite a bit of work in Philadelphia as well. And uh, but we are focused on real estate. We're real estate investors. Uh, so we, you know, we buy, you know, mostly dilapidated value add opportunities, you know, multifamily from multifamily to single family and renovate them and either sell it. Uh, to a homeowner or to an investor, or we keep it for ourselves uh, as well. So we we tend to we we've started with a duplex, and we've you know we're in the process of closing on a almost 200 unit um, complex in North Carolina, which wow. is you know the biggest yeah it's the biggest kind of project we've done to to date. Um, so yeah, it's been an interesting journey, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we started with nothing, you know, my, my father pretty much, um, gave us a loan for $30,000 for our our first property. And Mm -hmm. we put, we put some savings aside and figured it out and, uh, had a, had a evict our first tenant and what have you. But, um, you know, over the years we've learned what we're good at and, and buying multifamily and, and value add opportunities and then, you know, raising money and really raising teams of people to help us execute those projects has been probably the best thing we've done, um, you know, and, and had our share of, you know, issues and 
problems and all that good stuff. But yeah, the, the, the journey has been, like I said, very uh, interesting from flipping property to rentals to development to all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Now, the, the $30,000 loan that you got from your dad, that was for the du- that duplex that you mentioned? Yes. Yeah. And, now, and uh, yeah. Now, I was going to say, was that your guy's first marital home that you guys decided to move into or was that a was that yeah. f- an investment from day one? It was an investment from day one, but it's it was interesting because both my husband and I had no prior real real estate kind of investing experience. We both, <laughs> uh, you know, it wasn't like this was handed down or we really knew anything. Sure. Um, you know, so we uh, we took some classes, you know, which I guess is good. You know, some, in hindsight, yeah, there's something there. Yeah. Something there, but we took some classes and uh, you know, one of the local real RIA groups and things, and you know, you get all the guru, uh, you know. Guru, guru courses, mm-hmm. but we really educated ourselves for about a year, okay. and then we were we were actually engaged at the time, and it was two thousand and four. Okay. So we were engaged, and we weren't even married yet. And my father, God bless him, I don't think I could do this with my children, but my father, you know, on faith, you know, loaned us the money, and um, you know, I just that's a that's a that's a lot of faith he had in us, you know, sure, to loan yeah. us money with my with my then fiance who just just became a realtor. So. Uh, so yeah, we bought that and, and my husband at the time lived in a residence and actually rented out two of the rooms and that was really his first kind of project. And, and it really gave him that he had like, I think $50, like positive cash flow, mm-hmm. And he was just like, wow, there's a lot of interesting power in this. And it, it wasn't like a multifamily, but sure. it was still that energy of, you know, like, wow, hey, I can, yeah, I can like, rent hey, these rooms hey, out. Hey, I can I can generate an income. Like I can get somebody to pay for my mortgage while I'm sitting yeah. here living for free, basically. Right. Yeah. So it really opened his eyes, and then that's when we we're like, okay, let's let's buy let's buy our first deal, and then and then it kind of went from there. That's awesome. Yeah. No, the uh, it's funny the 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 duplex thing. My um, one one of my one of my early interviews. I think it might have been episode eleven. Might have been episode eleven or twelve. I interviewed a guy named Jacob Ayers, who's a uh, real estate investor out of Houston. Okay. And uh, young, younger guy. He's in his late twenties, but he's also a real estate investor. Uh, meanwhile, having a you know a solid nine to five job, and the the one of the advice one of the pieces of advice that he gave for early on investors was the same thing. He's like, first thing that first opportunity that you get, buy a duplex. Yeah, move in, absolutely. Move into it. You live in one unit, rent out the other one, do that for a year, maybe two, and then buy a three unit. Keep the first one, rent out your unit, live in the, live in one of the units, rent out the other two, live there for a year or two, and then just kind of go on from there and just kind of keep the ball rolling. Like it was really yeah. interesting. He's like, the, the side benefit of doing it that way was what other scenario in the world do you ever get the chance to choose your neighbor. He's like, he's like, if you're, if you're living there and you're the landlord, you get to choose who lives next door. You never, ever, ever get that opportunity in any, in any other way. Um, so no, Absolutely. it was interesting. You got, you guys sort of started in the same bucket. Now, granted he's working in the, in the, uh, Oklahoma and Northern, Northern Texas market. So he's picking up properties for 25 to $50,000, which I didn't, no, living out here on the coast, I didn't exactly know existed anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, it's like anywhere in the developed world, but God bless him. He's got, he's making a heck of a business doing it. Well, it's funny, you know, we, we actually got our start in Trenton, which is, you know, a, you know, New Jersey's capital and mm-hmm. still, still figuring itself out, you know, in terms of a city sure. and you set, you certainly can buy, you know, pop property, uh, you know, for less than what you would expect, you know, especially in New Jersey, although the taxes are high, um, still in Trenton, the taxes are high, but we, uh, we actually live outside of Trenton. And okay. when we, when we first invested in Philly, my husband, I needed, I actually was working full time and my husband was as well. Um, but he really wanted to quit his job. Mm. Um, he was doing very well, you know, had, had a car, company car. I mean, we talk about it to this day, you know, he's like, you know, geez, I miss that company car. But he's like, he's like, it's all my own, my own cars, my own company car. It's just, it's just funny, the mindset. Yeah. Um, but he, um, he ended up quitting his job the first, you know, pretty much the first within the first month of us getting married. So pretty much a year after we started, he quit his job. So by no means was he kind of generating income to supplement his, his, um, his nine to five, he was mm. in sales and he did very well. So we always, you know, we were able to like, 
make that move because I kept working. You know, I was, I was kind of more of the, and I was an, I was more of a consultant. It wasn't super steady, but steady relative to starting your own business. Sure, it was yeah. a little more steady. So I was doing kind of management consulting and I did that for many years. Um, and I, and I think that was a big, and we said, if, if you do horribly in this business, can I handle the mortgage? Can I handle the bills? by myself. Mm. And that was before children. I have a four-year-old and a nine-month-old. So <laughs> that was before the expenses went up. But when it was just him and I, I said, yeah, I can. I can handle it. And, uh, you know, it, it was many years until he started to really generate generate money that can support us, which then I, I left my work and had we had started a family. But it was just interesting. It was a really, um, you kind of have to make those sacrifices and it, and you have to make the, take, talk about the what ifs, you know? So- yeah. Now that the job that you're referring to, that was the one that he left to become a realtor or that was when he was a realtor um, doing doing sales as a realtor? No. Well, he was he was um, working for a, it was a big company. It was, oh, that, uh, was what, um, that was what he was doing before the real yes. estate. OK, got it. No, okay. no, no. He was working. Actually, he was an engineer. He was uh, doing um, mechanical sales. So he okay. wasn't selling homes. No, he when he became a realtor, he got his license. He he, he became an investor. Those Got two it. things happen the same time. Yeah. Okay. So he he was so he was never an active sort of selling real estate agent. No. He got his realtor license so to get into investing. You got it. Yep. Is is that a regulation thing in New Jersey? You ha if you want to be a a real estate investor, you have to have a real estate. I'm asking because in Maryland it's not the case. I've been told that in some states, if you're going to own investment real estate, you have to be licensed to do so. No. And that's it. That's not you don't case. have to be licensed. No, no, okay. you don't have to be licensed. But it, you know, it, it, you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, banter back and forth of the advantages and disadvantages. You know, mm -hmm. people getting their license when they want to invest. Yep. I've, I've, I haven't actually gotten my license. Um, you know, it, you know, I don't see the. It's not a bad thing. It's well, just you don't need it. If yeah, it's just yeah. you tend to start to get some experience, and um, it might be interesting to get it at some point. But I, I don't have any interest in selling selling a lot of houses. Yeah. I want to sell our own stuff to you know to people, mm -hmm. you know, like our own flips and those sort of things. But beyond that, I, I you know that's not. And actually, on, on that point, does he use that real estate license to sell the properties that you guys flip? You, you know, it's funny at the beginning of our of the first number of years, he didn't just because he really wanted to, you know, b build up other relationships and things. There have been properties over the years that he's just like, I might as well just list this myself because, you know, it really depends on the market. I mean, we've found some of the local markets, like in Philadelphia, we don't know that market as well. So we're not going to, you know, and we're not yeah. even licensed in Philly. So we want to use somebody who, and they earn their commission, uh, who knows the local market and can, can kind of direct that. Um, we're actually flipping a property right next to our own, residential home right now because it was so dilapidated and it needed so much work and we'd like to sell the next couple of years and we're like we're not selling our house if you know so we're like well thank god we're in this this business but it's like if, um, that, if that one next door sells for 50 percent of market value that's gonna hurt us so let, yeah. let's let's get might as well buy it, it yeah. and yeah. renovate ourselves so <laughs> so what's what we're doing but um what's interesting with that is we know our local local market but still, we, we go, we're going back and forth, whether or not we're going to probably list it through, through my husband or we're going to actually find a, like, someone in our community and who, can really, who really knows the heartbeat of our community because we don't do a lot of flips in our own community. So that's always that we don't do flips in one area. So that's always the question mark whether or not it makes sense to list it. I, I like to partner with people who know their stuff. As long as they can earn their commission, of course, and they're not like going to waste my time. <laughs> sure, of course, yeah, sure. The uh, now, how how big of a footprint do you guys have? Like, it sounds like obviously you're 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 in or near Trenton. You do some stuff in Philly. This, yep. this big purchase that you're going to do is down in North Carolina. That's obviously you know a far cry from New Jersey. Like, yep. where where like do you guys have a system or a model? of we we do this we do this specific type of property but we'll do it anywhere or really good question. we do any type of property but it's got to be within a five you know a five mile of this center point of where you live really, or whatever it is i think it's an interesting question from a, from a lot of different angles uh because you know how okay. i would have answered that yeah it's a very thoughtful prov provoking question how i would have answered that when we started is a different answer than i'm probably going to give you now sure uh you know because we always had the context when we started to be within 30 minutes of our office, mm. you know, because we're managing a lot of what we own locally. Okay. So we, we own probably about a hundred and I don't know, 15 units or so doors 
in our local, like Trenton, Mercer County market, okay. we, which we manage everything again with a team, but still it comes down, you know, to ultimately, sure. you know, yourselves, yeah. but we do have a, a team that we've, we help and they help us and work with. What's interesting is that I think once like the multifamily, like we bought, you know, small multis, then we bought a 10 unit and then we bought an 18 unit. And then, and then after the 18 unit, 18 unit was in Philly, which we were still managing. We, um, we bought a 49 unit out in Lancaster, okay. which is an hour and a half, which is an hour and a half drive. West, yeah. So there's no, yeah. So there's no way our leasing agent's going to get in the car to obviously, you know, show up to, to show an apartment, yeah. uh, or our maintenance guy. Obviously that makes no, no sense. Sure. So we were forced at that point doing the management ourselves to like hire a third party, which is really new for us. Um, so we found that property though, because we were in relationship with commercial brokers and we proved to them that we can close, you know, uh, you know, decent size apartment buildings. Sure. You have financing, so, you can do it. Yeah. You can make the, yeah, we have yeah. the, so that process, because we, we knew how to do it and we knew how to do it, you know, well and raise the money for it. Um, we have put our own money into deals, but we can't be buying a 200 unit just with, you know, sure. we don't have like a few million dollars just sure. laying around. Sure, just yet. yet. So just yet. we'll get there, you yeah. know. Give us time. But Give it time. Right now, we, we don't have the capacity to buy like large, large, large apartment buildings just, just on our own dime. Sure. So obviously, you know, you have to start building that team and that like process. So my point in sharing that though is that with the Lancaster purchase forced us to kind of create a team around, okay, we're going to need to hire a third party. And that was about a year and a half ago. And that's, that has been like one of the best things we did. We did. So it really taught us we don't need to be doing it all ourselves. Now we're thinking, how do we, <laughs> how do we get a property management team to take on some of our own local stuff? Because for the city, you know, you start to look at what's giving you the most return. Yeah. And it's just interesting because, you know, the 80, 20 rule, right. Where my energy is going is actually not always giving me the most return on sure. my money, my time. But so then anyway, we started then looking for other large multifamilies and they didn't have to be in our hometown because we knew we weren't going to manage them ourselves. Sure. So that started to open up our, our, um, lens to see other, you know, other markets. And then we found this deal in North Carolina and then here we are with that. So what part of North Carolina, if you don't mind me asking. Uh, yeah, it's in Fayetteville. Fayetteville. It's uh, ho the home of um, Fort Bragg. It's a high military. Um, so high. It was, uh, so so high occupancy district and. Yeah, know, very middle income, awesome. working class. You know, um, some people would say B, C neighborhood kind of thing where you know working. That's that's we don't really invest in beyond like the the B class neighborhoods. You know, that's just not our our focus. Uh, things are too expensive. You can't make it work for anybody involved. Yep. So. Um, so yeah, so we were very much willing and that's the first property that we'll have to get on an airplane, you know, to, to go visit, sure. but we were really committed to doing something that we knew how to do and that didn't need to be close. Mm -hmm. If, if we're going to go invest in a uh, mobile home park, mm -hmm. that probably wouldn't be something we'd want to get on an airplane to do. We'd want that to be again, close to home. Close by. Yeah. So it, it wouldn't be this. And, you know, over the years we've, we've dabbled, we've gotten distracted. I mean, you know, I don't need to tell you all the things. So we know what we're good at. And I keep reminding my husband, cause I think my husband gets bored more than I do, but you know, we know what we've gotten, we've done well with. <laughs> so, so you gotta just keep doing that and yeah. doing it, doing it. And, and you can expand. Had my husband, had, had we never bought a multifamily property, getting on an airplane for a 200 unit would have been really daunting. It would have been really like, whoa, you know, not saying people can't do it, sure. but we, we kind of knew if you manage a 50 unit, 200 is really not that different. It's sure. just more units, right? Yeah, so. sure. Yeah, it's like once you get beyond, once you get probably beyond the 10 unit, 10 to, 10 to 15 unit mark, it's like once you get beyond that point, after that, it's just kind of numbers. Like a, yeah. after that, it's like, it's like okay, the, the landscaping is roughly the same cost in proportion. The turnover is roughly the same in proportion yeah. and it just, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That, yeah. That makes sense. Now out of curiosity, when, when did you guys buy that first duplex? What year was that? Do you recall? Yeah. 2004. Okay. So you guys haven't been at it terribly long. So what, 13 years? Yeah. God, 14, four, 14 years today. Yeah, Talking now in early January. I know. I know. It'll be, um, uh, yeah. And I quit my, I, I just give you some numbers. I mean, I, I want to say 2004 to 2000 and 
I quit my job. Actually, I've had two stints of working with my husband, but 2008, I actually quit my job for the first time. Okay. I left my work and we, we didn't have a ton of steady income, but we were making money with flips or here and there. It was like sporadic. Sure. Um, and I said, we have enough savings. So in, in a year, you know, this goes south before children, I'll go back to doing what I was doing. I left on a good note and that's actually what ended up happening because it was just too stressful from a lot of different perspectives. Um, and we, you know, that's a whole other topic for a whole other day, but, sure. but we then, but we, then I went back to my, my corporate work until 2013. And then I left that when I, um, had my first son. And you so. went back what year again? So you left the first time in 2010. In- okay. So a couple of years yeah. later. Yeah, a couple gotcha. years later. Well, and it was just really stressful from money and relationship and how we work together. And, and it also didn't help the market tanked. I was about, I to, mean, say, I was well, about to say, you wonderful timing. You got out in 2000. Yeah, it was, it was just like... like- it's like you, things happening. You yeah, know? it's like you, you go, you go like full on, you know, both feet in the water, like just close your eyes and jump right into the real estate market in 2008. It's like, yeah. ugh. It's funny, like yeah. you start out, we started out more risk taking. Like I said, some of the some of the buildings we bought, some of the decisions we made. I mean, we have just become more cautious over the years, and that, I think children do that. Yeah, I think. Like you just experience in business d- does that too. I just want to sure. mitigate risk. That's I want. We want to take on more, but we want to do it in a very like conservative way. So mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if we would have. I don't know if I would have said that when we started. You know, but sure. um, but we want to grow. But we want to grow in a kind of mindful and you know cautious well, way. If you if you if you listen to if you listen to any conversations with some of the sort of big business moguls of the day, yeah. you know, regardless of who that is, whether it be the Richard Branson's of the world or yep. whatever, it's like people look at these people as like, oh my God, these guys are just throw caution to the wind, rule breaking, right. whatever. And like, that's not what they are. If you look right. at the, if you look at the deals that they structure, if you look at the things that they do, these people are masters at risk mitigation. It's yep. like, they don't, they don't try everything in the world to see if it sticks. They make yep. sure Anything that they do can't lose or lose beyond its own bubble. Like it's, right. it's insulated from all of the other stuff. Yeah. So as long so, as you as long as you do that, you're safe. It's like yep. you're safe. You like you can you can lose an you know you can lose in a single opportunity, sure. But if you're diversified and you're not, you know, like if if all the eggs aren't in one basket and you've got things set up legally so that you're protected and you know you don't you know your kids yep. your kids roof isn't at risk and you know all the crazy all the crazy stuff that goes along with that. You're you'll generally be fine. Now, one question that I've got is as as for and this is just speaking for something that I want to make sure that the audience gets out of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And because this is something that's affected me in the past is I have a background in real estate as well. Like I was in the mortgage business from 2002, 2001 to 2002, um, up through the middle part of 2008, haha, roughly the same time as you, jumping, yeah. you guys jumping in. Um, you know, I, I love the idea of investing the the trouble the trouble that I've got, which is the same problem that a lot of people have, is if you don't if you're not sitting on, you know, giant piles of cash to be able to handle like the acquisition costs and the down sure. payments and mm-hmm. navigate navigating the bank term. And that that's just and maybe this is just my ignorance coming from the residential mortgage side of the world. But, you know, there's there's limits to the number of properties you can own. There's limits to the number of units you can have. Like how do how do you get around that early? Like I'm not talking about where you are now, although I'd like to talk about where you are now because I find it fascinating. But for somebody for somebody that's looking to get into real estate investing, obviously, you know, you put in some, you know, you put in some money, but how do you generate a down payment for five properties a year, 10 properties a year, if you're acquiring that many, like, how does one do that? Like, how did you guys do that early on? Like, were you, was this build, was this business functioning exclusively off of your initial savings? And then it sort of grew from there. And if, if not, where did the, how did you build those relationships? To relationships. Make that work? Yeah. Yeah. So we early on, um, you know, we would, you know, we were, I'm more of a saver. My husband likes to more of like not a spender, but he's more of that, you know, a little more free with, with that strategy. And I'm, I'm a little more like, you know, a little more like 
close, close with the purse, so to speak. But, um, but yeah, we, we got started, you know, we, for that first duplex, uh, we got a loan. I think we ended up putting some, but very little of our own money in. Uh, it wasn't until our second purchase, we bought a four unit. So we did it. We actually did a 1031 exchange, which you take the, um, you know, the, the gain, so to speak, actually your, your principal and gain. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you could take that when you tax defer, it's tax deferred money, so to speak, yep. uh, because you're not touching it and you're actually just redirecting it to another property. Okay. So, so that was a benefit because we did have a, a, a positive gain on that first sale. Okay. Cause at that point we were moving to New Jersey. We didn't want property at the time in Philly. Okay. Now it would be a big deal because, because we've grown, but uh, we at least we more relationships at the time. We're like, we don't want to be that far. It was like 45 minutes. So we're like, let's, let's, let's get something much closer. So we were able to purchase three, four units. So it was about 12 units Okay. Uh, at that point. And what we did was it was again, some of our, some of our own money. In addition, we had some lines of credit that we kind of structured with our um, parents again. Okay. So that, that became, uh, they both had properties free and clear. Um, you know, neither of our parents are millionaires by any means, both, you know, my, ha my, my dad's a teacher was a retired teacher. My, um, my in-laws same worked hard, just, you know, middle-class families, sure. but they both happened to have, you know, homes free and clear, which I think the, the older generation did really well. I don't yes. know if our generation is doing that as well, well but uh, the, the houses used to cost $19,000. You know, that's right. now that's, that's, that's that same $19,000 house in the suburbs is, you know, $400,000. Right. It's a total, good point. Yeah. And the income yeah. hasn't gone up in proportion, you know? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a good point. So, but they did, and we were able to leverage some of that, you know, the lines of credit, um, to buy some of these, some, buy some of these rentals. Now, you know, it's, that's a whole other talk topic of, you know, how to borrow money. What do you, what do you use the money for? Um, we ended up selling, we ended up acquiring more on that block. We ended up selling the whole portfolio, um, because it just made sense at the time. And we also had some of that line of credit lingering. So lines of credit are meant to be used and then put back, use sure. and put back. Uh, unfortunately, when you buy a rental property, I mean, you got to buy it at such a steal that there's so much room to to do that, to take all that money out and be able to pay down a lot. You know what I mean? So it, yeah. at the time, it probably wasn't the right decision to use a lot of credit <laughs> to buy rental property. I don't think I'd be telling anyone on this call to do that. But what I would say is, you ha you know, leveraging private money, so to speak, which that's a form of, mm -hmm. um, it has been how we've been able to to build our business. So we kind of plateaued around probably right around the time we, we, um, you know, I left, I left my, my, you know, it was around 2008, 2009, we had the same rental portfolios, probably about 30 units, 40 units, maybe it was just plateaued. It was just stagnant. Got it. Um, you know, and so, and we had used family. So we'd use mostly just people that, you know, love us, so to speak. Sure. Uh, which is awesome. But, you know, again, if you don't have the, the rich uncle, you know, that that's only going to get you so, so far. So far. Sure. Um, and, and you want to protect everyone's money. I mean, that, that, that over the years, we've, we have a lot of investors now and, and, you know, I, I worry less about what I make and I, I worry more about them, you know, sure. because, you know, that's, that's a big deal. It's people's retirement money. I don't know. That to me is, is our, always our first priority. Um, but anyway, so at that point, 2010 was really when we got aggressive with starting to align with some more, um, with, with more private money, so to speak. When then private money is, uh, someone loaning you money, a private individual and agreed upon terms, uh, or they're becoming like an equity with you. They're coming as a, as a, as a, as a kind of like, I'll bring the money, you bring your, you know, your expertise and we'll partner. Yeah. And that's actually how one of our first outside the family investors came in. At that point, we knew how to run rentals. We sure. knew what to do. We were just plateaued from a financial yeah. you perspective. Knew, you, knew, you knew how to negotiate a sales price. You knew how to structure a deal. You knew how to close. You knew how to renovate it, deal with tenants, contractors, and whatever. But you, but you didn't have the money. This person had the money, but doesn't know how to do any of those things. Right. It's, exactly. Yeah, got it. It became a 50 50. We bought two single family homes with this gentleman uh, who still works with us. He's in every project we do, just about. But it was just a really great example of like a 50 50. And what we brought to the table, but we had a track record at that time. We built sure. a track record. So, yeah. um, and then from there, you know, it's grown. So, gotcha. Now, when you when it comes to 
attracting outside investors like that? Like, is that something that you think should wait or probably has to wait until you get a deeper track record like what you guys had? Or is that something that a new investor that has now when I say new investor, let me back up the no one, no one with a brain should go into real estate investing without with while knowing absolutely nothing, nothing. Right. like that that's just a recipe for disaster like that's an sure. absolute recipe for disaster um but for say just let's use me as an example like i ha- you know i own the first house that we that i bought in 2002 i moved out in 2005 bought another house kept the first one rented it out it's been rented since then um, yeah. And then we have this house that I currently live in now, which my plan was to do the same thing here, live here for two, three years, move out, rent it out, buy another one, and then just keep going. I just, oh, yeah. I just ended up liking where I am right now. And I've stayed here. I've been here ever since. Sure. Um, but for somebody, but I was in the real estate business for six and a half years. I've, sure. ma- I've managed albeit a single unit, but I've managed a residential real estate property for 12 13 years so you know also my mother my mother before she passed away she owned a couple of different properties that she wasn't really able to keep up with on her own so i helped do that for her as well i have a mild track record but i'm also not the money bags guy so like there's some experience there but say for somebody like me like is is, like am i a case study of someone that should that if they wanted to get more into that, should look for something like that or is yeah. qualified yeah, I mean, I to look into something like that or is, you know, or am I still not enough, I guess is my question. You know, you know? I think it's like the, I think the prerequisites, we call them like prerequisites and, you know, cause we do Matt, my husband and, and I do some, but he does a little more cause that's uh, his more, his, his uh, focus is raising money. But, you know, we talk a lot about a track record because you have some experience. Now that experience can vary, right? Sure. That experience can look like I bought in, you know, I bought 30 units, I bought in two, I bought, but, it, but the experience is the experience. And, and more importantly than the experience is like the beginning to the end. I bought this, I did this, and then the exit was this. And, and that's how I recouped X dollars. So it, it shows that I, I took it from beginning to end and this is the result. And I, I want to do more of that but I'm just out of money. And I think those are the types of investors that, yeah, are are kind of primed to take on more projects, but they just don't know how to go about it and who to go to and all those sort of things. And it's, um, it's not as mysterious as, as just, you know, going up to random people in Walmart. I mean, certainly don't do that. I mean, that's just creepy, <laughs> but, but you, you, you know, I have, I have gotten approached. That's why I say Walmart is because I, I recently got approached by somebody about something else. And I'm like, this is weird. Like what, what course are you going to? That's, that's telling you to go up to people randomly in Walmart. But anyway, another, another <laughs> sidebar, but, um, yeah, I, I would say like, you know, going to people that, uh, I think real estate's interesting. There's no one ever I, I, that I talk to, they're like, oh, that sounds really boring. Like they don't say that, but they, they're always intrigued. Why do you buy property? Like it's an interesting topic. It's a, it's a sure. intriguing topic. So I think you could get into conversation with people who want to get involved in the business, just don't have the time. And yeah. usually people bring time, money, or resources to the table. And you have to think about what can I, can I bring? If I can bring time and expertise then I might need money, well, that could be a good system. If you don't have any time, but yet you have the money and you find someone else who has no time and money, not a good equation. So it's a lot about finding people with the right recipe Mm -hmm. where you can bring those strengths to the table and also leverage each other's kind of, uh, differences, if that makes sense. Gotcha. Uh, And it's also how active people want to be. We're active investors. Not everyone wants to be active. They don't want to get the calls. They don't want to deal with the fact that you know, half our, some of our properties have had pipes freezing and, 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 you know, bursting with the, with the cold spell that's happened. They don't want to deal with that. They just want to receive rent checks Mm -hmm. and they don't want to deal with it. So there is something to be said for passive investments and passive investors. Um, they want to get involved in the business, but they just want a nice little return and leave me alone. Send me gotcha. my checks. Gotcha. So that's funny. Yeah, the 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 guy that I mentioned to you that I interviewed earlier earlier on in my podcast, um, Jacob, like he's that kind of investor. It's funny yeah. you bring up that differential. Like he's that kind of investor. He's like, yeah, is it gonna is it gonna generate me fifty bucks a month? Great. One hundred and fifty bucks a month. Great. A thousand bucks a month. Great. Whatever. Just do your thing. I don't yep. like. 
outsource the management, outsource like outsource the repairs, outsource the management. What yep. if, if it cuts down on the cash flow? Okay, whatever. It's basically free money anyway. So right. yeah. So yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, but again, he's also a nine to fiver. He's got yep. a nine to five job that he loves. Not everybody is so lucky. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you another example too. There's a gentleman who we work with that we actually buy dilapidated multifamily. We fix it up and then we sell it to him more retail, but he then gets it with the re- with the tenants, like a turnkey. We're not like a turnkey business by any means. We sure. do it very strategically with people that we, you know, we've worked with. It's not a business we want to like, you know, do hundreds of these a year, but we do it strategically with the right people. And it's just, sure. you know, kind of, kind of happens. And he, he's bought probably four or five properties from us over the years, but the, the one he's buying this month, he has taken all of his rent rental proceeds and he's putting that into the down payment. So it's not out of his pocket. So I think if you have a nine to five, you could look at your, your, your life and go, okay, what can I do and put X dollars aside for an investment property? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then what does that look like? And where's the area that I'm looking in? And what can that buy me? And what would that give me? And it's just unraveling a big, you know, ball of yarn and trying to figure out what's going to get you to your goals, um, financial goals and say, and then you just, you, you have this big goal and then you start to really work backwards very, 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 very small in a small, like what your, you know, podcast is all about is, you know, putting the little pieces together. So, um, but this gentleman typically has down payments around $20,000. Now he's buying properties. We're bought, we're selling him properties in Trenton, right? So it's, this is not Princeton. This mm. is, you know, it's lower, lower, but you're in good areas of Trenton and, and there's good tenants and, you know, we, we keep him happy and, and what have you. So, but my point in saying that is he tends to put his bonuses aside. So he then puts his bonuses aside and then in a year he's accumulated, certain amount of money. He lives very, he lives very lean. I don't think he has children. So maybe that's why he lives lean. But, um, <laughs> but I, I think it, you know, I think you're right. It, it depends on your financial situation and your family, but it's, sure. can you do something in a small way? And if you're short with the money, what can you bring to the table where you can maybe put partners together and a team together? Maybe you don't get a hundred percent, but you get 50%. And what's better to get involved or to just wait for you to be the only owner of a building? I don't, I don't know. I'd, I'd rather be, you know, we're not, you know, we don't own our 49 unit a hundred percent, but we own a decent portion of it. And, yeah. and we're very happy with that. I mean, yeah. so I, I wouldn't have bought a 49 unit if I couldn't, if we didn't raise money because we couldn't, you know, we couldn't yeah, have done it, that. It gets back to, point. it gets back to the old cliche, you know, 50% of something or a hundred percent of nothing. Yeah. Right. It's like, like I can't, like I can't buy a property at all this year on my own, or I could buy, I could have a 50% share, put in a hundred percent sweat equity, have a 50% share in a $500,000 unit that's generating X, Y, Z, you know, yeah. X dollars per month. And I, at the end of the year, I've got a 50% share in a $500,000 piece of property where I wouldn't have before. Cause I can't do that. You know, right. and, and maybe the ones that I, that I would be able to afford, wouldn't generate anywhere remotely close to the cash flow necessary to justify the risk and the time and the money right. and the whatever. So like if you're buying, you know, if you're buying a fifty thousand dollar property because that's what you can afford, you know, you're making you're going to make fifty bucks a month on a property that's going to accumulate in value three thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So it's not like you're going to be lighting the world on fire. But if that's all you can afford, it's like, well, do I do that or do I split a much larger project with somebody else? Right. Don't put any money in. Don't That's put right. any money into it, but put the time in and the numbers end up being significantly larger. And it all yeah. comes back to like where you want to be. I mean, if you want to be, uh, you know, where you're syndicating deals and you're raising fat millions of dollars and, and that's what you want to do and buy thousands of units, then you start have to start hanging out with people who are doing that. Sure. If you want to buy small multifamilies and just get in, do it, do slow and steady, then find people doing that. Mm-hmm. I could tell you, though, anyone that's doing this business full time always needs something. Everyone needs something. And, you know, they talk a lot about mentors and taking people out to coffee. No, don't take people out to coffee. Add value, you yeah. know, and that's what I would say to new new people is like, I, I could tell you seven, five things that we need right now in our business. And if someone came to me and said, I have no real experience, but if I gave you one of these five things you needed, could you give me a piece of your next project? Mm-hmm. Of course we would. Sure. If they brought value to our team. Sure. So I, I think that's the other way that you can get involved in a small way is that anyone doing what you want to do needs something. Mm-hmm. And if 
and, and you can it literally find finding deals, finding properties is the biggest thing any investor needs. I don't care how experienced you are. Sure. You're never going to be just like, we have 20,000 projects to just underwrite right now. Like we we're always looking for projects. I could tell you sure. we're looking for more turnkeys in Trenton. Someone said, hey, let me help you. Okay, great. We'll give you X, Y, and Z. Like, I think that thinking doesn't happen enough. People just want, you know, the free advice and sure. they want to do it themselves. And that's great. But I wish we did more of that when we got started. I wish we gave our time and energy to someone more experienced that could take to, could have taken us over under their wings and we could have made less mistakes and made less money. We didn't make money at the beginning anyway. So it would not make a difference. I mean, yeah. I would have rather not made money and actually learned something rather than the school of hard knocks, which is actually what we, you know, participated in more so. So now let, let's let's go there for a minute. You, you said if the, you would have much preferred to go that route early on, if if you're just getting into it at those early stages, like say let let's let's flip our roles for a second. Whereas yeah. like if if is like if I'm you then and you are whoever you wish you would have done yeah. that with that you know now, yep. What kind of value does somebody that doesn't necessarily have a lot of experience have to offer somebody that's done to, that's bought and right. sold 20,000 20, residential units. Like what kind of value it's, can somebody add? Like for, for somebody that's listening to the show that wants to get involved in that, yep. like if someone were to come to you or somebody that's 10 times more successful than you guys are, what the hell do we have to offer you guys that you don't already know or have or can very easily get at, you know, the, comes, at the pick yeah. up of a phone? You know, it's a good question, but I think in a lot of ways, people either can help find properties mm -hmm. or find money. That's okay. what it all comes down to is either finding the properties or the money. And then you put the two together. I mean, yeah. in that, no matter if you're buying, you know, huge conglomerate apartment buildings or you're literally buying single family homes, mm -hmm. finding, finding deals and finding the money. So if you can help with finding money, can yeah. you be taught some of that? Absolutely. If you can help find, uncover some properties, um, and, and whatever that criteria looks like, um, then you can, you can, you can be taught that, okay, look for X property in X area that meets the following requirements. And this, these are five ways to probably get that, you know, make some cold calls or, I mean, a big apartment building owners, um, could you cold call those people? Yeah, you can call those people. Hey, you know, are you looking to, I mean, people always sell for different reasons. They want to get out, they, you know, so I can't be calling all those people. Like I just, so I think that's where people can add value. Uh, if you literally just have time and nothing else to add, can you learn something and then do it and do it consistently? Most people don't. Yeah. Most people want to do it and then they get distracted and then they fall off the face of the earth. And I, I tell you, that's what most people do. Sure. Cause I've, I've dealt with people. We all who do be Yeah, we all do that. Yeah. So if you just stay with it, and consistently do it, I'll, I'll give you an example of a gentleman who was really good at underwriting, really good with numbers. Mm -hmm. He didn't ever buy a real estate property, but he was really good at numbers. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to learn how to, how to, you know, do more real estate investing, but he, he's really good at crunching numbers. Yep. Well, he became the cruncher of the numbers on the 200 unit that, you know, that he, and he's been working very closely with my husband and he's got a piece of all that too. So, mm -hmm. but Matt, my husband, can he crunch numbers? Yeah. But is that like his, you know, if he had a say that's his number one skill, it's good. He's good at it because he's in the business and sure. he knows what he's doing. But you need somebody that's all they're good at. Yeah, to you really want start you want somebody you want somebody that that has that's married to Excel. That you right. you're like a and like they're a, just like a, word, a, a number really, wizard. Yep. Right. A number. And that's what you need. So that gentleman brought that to the table. I've had other people who um, were really good in 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 sales and marketing, and they're very good at talking to people. So could they? Um, you know, open up some doors of some relationships or, or getting speaking in, you know, opportunities because we want to increase our brand. I mean, I, I tell you, there's so many different ways. So I think everyone has something to offer. Mm -hmm. It's just how badly and how much time can you devote to helping someone? Um, and, and are you willing to do it? I mean, that, that gentleman who helped us on this project was probably one of the first people that consistently helped and actually followed through wow. with what they say they're going to do. Um, we've been doing this for a lot of years and that's, yeah. I can't name more than a few people That's and we've had a lot right. more people who've, who've offered their help. Sure. So, but then have come and gone, come and gone. I get bored. I get this like that. So it's okay. That's fine. But I, I wish I, I wish I knew folks like 
not that we're amazing. We still make mistakes and all that, but I, at least we've done it and we can, sh- we're honest and we could kind of share, okay, this works and this doesn't work. I would have loved to have talked to people who could have taken me under my wing to do that. And, um, we, we hustled, we worked really hard. So I would have been able to do that for them. And I'm pretty consistent too. So if someone said, go look at these deals and come back to me and tell me what you did, I, I would have done that. Like I wouldn't have been like, well, maybe I'll do it. Or maybe I won't, but I'm, I'm a good student actually. So Got it. Yeah. Now that, that actually, that actually leads me to, um, something, something that you said that I found interesting, the, the finding people that have expertise, obviously that expertise can vary and that expertise can change over time. You mentioned that when you guys were starting out, you did a lot of learning early on. Like what was, what did you guys focus on when you were sort of learning early on when you were starting, uh, for people that want to start getting involved in this, do did you have a particular focus of your learning and your husband had a different area of focus for his learning early on? Or were you both just say, like you both churned through the same 30 books that first year or the same 30 websites that year and just talked about it over dinner so that you both were on this on a level playing field? Like, how did you guys work that dynamic? I wish we were more thoughtful and, and, and we were, you know, I wish we were more strategic about it. That would have made a lot of sense. Um, you know, but we weren't, we both kind of just jumped in and said, let's just figure it out. And, you know, now many years later being not only married, but working together, I mean, I know exactly what my husband's good at and he knows what I'm good at. Um, we, we've learned that over time and we've gone to a lot of personal growth weekends and, you know, we've done a lot of work on ourselves and our relationship and our business. So, you know, over the course of the decade, we kind of figured it out, but yeah, it would have been great to actually, I'll hear, I'll hear couples often say, well, you know, he's good with the numbers and she's really good with that. And we split up the role and then bingo, bang. I'm like, I really wish we would have done that better. To be kidding. (laughs) That sounds like complete, like obvious, like, hello, that sounds wonderful, but yeah, that sounds like way too obvious that I couldn't have probably followed that. But I think the other part of it too, is that, um, when we started, the biggest mistake we made was that we got involved with too many things at once. Mm. So we bought a, we bought a commercial building because on cash flow it looked great. Well, we bought a commercial building that no one wanted to rent. So that's not good when you have <laughs> no tenant. I mean, I, you don't have to be a rocket science scientist to figure that out. You don't yeah. have a tenant, you're not making any money. Yeah. So again, that commercial is like, it's like, wow, what, it's like this, this thing maxed out is going to generate $50,000 a month in cash flow. That's or like, or in gross rents. That's a lot more than the $2,500, you know, that I get from this multifamily right. over here. No brainer. Oh wait. No brainer. Right. Seemed like, like a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that probably would have been the best. I mean, I can make a whole list of things, but I think <laughs> what we, what we did do well and what we continue to do well is like buying multifamily, renovating it, fixing it up and doing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I can tell you by, by name of the project, the things that don't follow that and fix and flips. We have done those. I think we've done those fairly well over the years. I think we've tried different things with fixing and flipping. We've done really well with certain fl- fix and flips. We haven't done well with others. Overall, I think our batting average isn't as, if I had to say like, what is our strongest batting average? If like a, a sports analogy, mm-hmm. it's the, it's the multifamily rentals and the fix and flips secondarily, anything beyond those two things. Like I, I'll tell you the commercial, commercial purchases and, um, raw land we bought not bought. We, we, we started working on this project that it was, you know, going to do development in, in our, you know, in our, our local community. That was 2008. We're still figuring that out. That's uh, what, what is that? Uh, 10 years, 10 years. Almost. Now there's a lot of, there's a lot of environment reasons why that, that has taken some time and, you know, we didn't have a ton of money invested in it, but still it's just our time and energy. But again, it just goes back to what are you good at and what do you want to focus on? And what's going to move you towards your goals? Um, rentals are great, but it's not like you buy a rental and you're making, you know, $10,000 monthly cash flow the first month. I mean, it, it doesn't work that way unless you're buying a certain amount of rentals to, sure. to, to yield that. So, sure. you know, setting yeah, if yourself you're fr- up if you're for first, success. If your first, pro- first purchase is a 300-unit apartment complex, yeah. then And you own 300, and you own and, 100% of it. Awesome. Yeah, then you're yeah. th- and you're there. That's wonderful. You're probably there. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah, but, that's awesome. You know, but... But, you know, so it's, it's also just, yeah, it's figuring out that focus and then knowing each other's strengths Mm -hmm. and then playing to those strengths and knowing, knowing when you have to get out of the way. And, you know, we, 
we put our marriage first. We, you know, having kids, it's, you know, our kids are, you know, so it's really, it's shifted since we started a family, you know, sure. and I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not as much in the business as my husband. I'm involved, um, strategically and, and I'm involved with certain projects, but I'm not the day-to-day operator. Um, I, I've, I've never been the day-to-day operator, but I know enough to step into the day-to-day if I needed to. Sure. Um, and I work on a number of things. So yeah, if your husband gets a massive flu or whatever, he's gone. Like, like this thing isn't going to crater. You can run. It's like you can run his side. I know of enough. It. I yeah. know enough about, especially the managing side of it. You know, and sure. that's the other thing is that I find that someone is either really good at growth, or they're really good at managing. Mm-hmm. You know what is and usually yeah. administration of something, and and you're really good at making something better. Or are you really good at finding new things and it's the new, the new, the new? Yeah. And my husband's that way where he'll get bored with something. And anything that needs a lot of like detail management is when, you know, I can look at it in our business where, where it needs attention. It's usually those things. But if it's something new, mm-hmm. he's awesome. At. That's so it. that's, yep. so I've, I've over the years said, okay, we really need a construction manager. You're not that. So we've, we've thought through that and, and, you know, so I'll step in and say, we really need a new team member here. Okay. How do we? How do we, how do we get that person? Who can we, you know, so that kind of stuff too, Just because you can't be good at everything. There's no way in this business you can be good at everything. Sure. Um, if there is, if there's an area that someone that's getting into the business seem is very easily overlooks that obviously there's a lot of areas of real estate investing. Right. There's, there's the money part. There's the finding the property part. There's the fixing up the property part. There's the renting out the property part. There's a lot of different moving parts in the game of real estate investing. From your experiences, when you were starting, what area didn't seem important early on that you later learned was, had a lot more value in, in the process? Like obviously when, because like if I'm speaking from a novice perspective, the only like the most important thing is finding money for a down payment, getting financing lined up, and finding a tenant. Right, right. The biggest there's a hell that- of a lot more to it than that. Yes. but I like if I'm going into it without any guidance, those yep. are the three things that I'm going to learn, and then I'm going to go. Like, but wait, what about the like? There's yeah. other things that are a hell of a lot more important than those things, or are there? Like, what's, what's yeah. what was your experience there? I would say people most of the time, um, especially when you're when you're crunching numbers for a flip or a rental, which again we are more of our experience, mm. any project for that matter, you underestimate the costs. So you'll always underestimate what things are going to cost, whether it's you know utilities, whether it's uh, hiring a contractor, whether it's just having reserves, like something that you didn't know. I mean, how many times have people that own homes things happen that you don't know is going to happen, mm-hmm. right? So we can't, we don't all predict what's so underestimating your costs and really doing a good job at like financial analysis, like underwriting is a, you know, fancy way of t- saying you're, you're looking at all the costs, all the expenses, and you're looking at your, your pr- projected income and saying, does this, does this project, does this make sense for me to buy, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with everything in, included. And, um, that's the biggest thing anyone makes, anyone can make a mistake on, especially as you grow in your business for us to look at a 200 unit and say, okay, what are all the costs? Those costs are a little different than a, than a than a ten unit, right? You have different building, you have multiple buildings, you have multiple heating systems, right? So it's it might have more zeros, but it's still a, a you know could be something. So we we had a mentor on that project. We have somebody who we were able to run everything by, um, you know, because that was a big, big you know that was a big step for us. It's a bigger amount of units for us. So. I would always say run your numbers by someone who's done it before. And the gentleman who's a mentor has thousands of units like beyond our our experience. So for for any pro- project size whether it's a single family or, or multifamily uh, or a flip, flips a whole other discussion, but you're sure. always going to underestimate you're always going to underestimate money and most importantly you're going to under- underestimate it in two areas. Your your reserve account Mm-hmm. meaning you're going to put money aside, like your savings account for the property. The God forbid, like your, the God, if, forbid in, in God forbid what happens. You're going to put too little into that class, yep. or not even put anything in it. People don't even think about it. Yep. Or the other thing I'd say is you're, you're actually your property management. Why I say that is you always want to put a certain percentage in your numbers 
for property management. Because if you say, well, I'm just going to do it. Well, what if you don't want to do it one day? That's what happened in a lot of ways where some of our early on uh, properties were, were negative cash flow. They weren't positive. They weren't even break even. A couple of them were just losers. And, and, and you know, what I mean by that is just that it, we didn't think about all those costs. Mm-hmm. Well, so, well, so then God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you have to, it's like when you have to cough up that extra 10 to 15% to have somebody else manage it for you. Cause it's just the bane of you. It's the, it turns out to be the bane of your existence, but you didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Where are you going to get the money from? The money's not there. Money's yeah. not there. Yeah. So, so that reserve account and that property management kind of expense line are two things that most new investors won't put in, um, as well, as much as you think. And I think it just, you know, column capital expenditures, reserve account, whatever, but it, sure. it's still just making, imp- and, and every year you're going to want to do something. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the roof, the guy said it was five years. Well, what if it turned out like next week, you know, and <laughs> I think money, money and, and financial management is the biggest skill that needs to be handled in this business. Everything else are just details. It's all just noise, finding the deal, the tenants, but all the stuff. And there's a lot to this business, but actually managing the financial like end of this business is the most important thing. And if you don't do that well, you will go under so fast that you didn't even know you were a real estate investor. (laughs) So and if you're not good at that, then get someone that is good at that. I mean, I was doing our bookkeeping for a couple of years. I mean, I'd free, I, I'm not great at that. I mean, I'm better. I'm good at like, like, kind of like looking at numbers and saying it globally, but I'm not great at like some of those pieces. I'm not a bookkeeper and yeah. I missed a mortgage payment. And my husband got a call and he's like, how did we miss a mortgage? I'm like, oh, I, I, I lost that bill. He's like, I'm going to fire you. You're horrible. <laughs> I'm like, well, you, you, we got to figure out a book. And then we hired a part-time bookkeeper and that made a big difference. And mm-hmm. she paid our mortgage on time and all that kind of stuff. So now, um, I, I know we're, we're, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're sort of circling toward, toward your, the point where you have to have to go. But one, one of the last, the last point that I wanted to ask you about, and maybe you can elaborate more about is obviously you guys are a team, a husband and wife team that doesn't work well for a lot of people. How are you guys able to make that work? Like just, I know that's a very broad question, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of people that can't work with their spouse. Like they, like either because they don't want to see that side of their spouse, they'd much rather just have the fun part, you know, or like, or you're the type of people that can't turn it off and you just, you end up married to your business partner. Meaning, yeah, you, like, yeah, you end up talking to your spouse and your family and your kids about nothing but business all day, all night, weekends, yeah. forever. I'd imagine that's not your dynamic. So, how you know, for for people that want to get into this as a family, or for anybody that wants to start any business as a family, as a, right. like a husband wife team, how do you make it work? I think beyond all the years of different challenges over the years and the a lot of like honest conversations we've had. Um, I think what has helped us is that the reason why we got married wasn't because we wanted to buy real rental properties together. Um, you know, we, we did invest before we were married, but that wasn't what, what brought us together. We really, really, I, I enjoy my husband's company and we still do. Like we went away from our 10 year anniversary mm-hmm. and we didn't talk about the business at all. We had a ball. Like we had such a fun we enjoy each other's company when it comes to the business is when we kind of like put our dukes up and we could have differing opinions. So what I think has helped us over the years is that we share similar values. We're both committed that this is one way that we're going to grow our financial wherewithal and leave a legacy for our kids. So when we have those disagreements, we have these disconnects. I tell them I'm, I'm never going to work with them again, which I have told them, um, in, in the years, <laughs> um, I've had some ugly days, but you know, when we had those disconnects over the years, which we've had plenty. Um, we have this similar like connection to why are we doing this? And then we always go back to that. And that helps us stay grounded that we both believe in it and we both know what we've gotten into. And we both, it's like, you know, picking up both ends of the stick. Like we both knew what we were doing and what life we've, we want to create. So, um, that has helped us. Um, I also would say that just like, knowing what the other person needs and trying to give that to them as much as you can. I know it's really hard in marriage just in general, let alone working with them. But you know, I don't work as much as my husband in the business. I'm not there every day. I'm not dealing with tenants as much as he is. So when he comes home, 
I have like 95 questions. I'm like, so where are you at with that? And how's that going? And the poor guy just wants to hang out and yeah, make right. like, you know, like, you know, play funny games with my son and let him roll over him. And, and he wants to smile with my, you know, daughter. He doesn't want to get the bombarding. And I had to really learn that over time. Um, we, had a, we, had a, we had a tough situation happen in the end of the year. And I really got that my husband needed me to be, you know, just his cheerleader. Like, hey, you got this. Not like, what did you think about that? Or maybe you should consider calling that person or that I can get very like, I'll ask him like 95 questions, a poor guy. And sometimes he just needs me like, sounds like you got it. If you need my support, I'm there, but you got it. And I know that's what my husband needs. Mm -hmm. So I try to give that to him as much as I can, as much as I'm working with him. And, uh, and I, it's a, it's a daily, it's a daily thought process. Like I know when he gets home, I have to get into a different mindset. I can't just do what I need. I have to give him what he needs. And it's, it's hard sometimes. It's not easy. And sure. you know, yesterday I was asking him a bunch of questions and I'm like, I'm like, is this one of those circumstances you just want some time? And he's like, yeah, I don't want to answer questions about this, you know, this, this thing. <laughs> like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's like, no yeah. problem. No problem. And it was fine. It was, it wasn't like this big heated thing. It was like a, I was just, he looked like he was zoning out. I'm like, okay, this is, this is not working. He's not having the conversation. He's not, his head's not he's here. Not, like, not, and he's very, it's very obvious with my husband. So I kind of like, okay, he's not <laughs> interested. But we, we're committed to get, making it better and like really looking at yourselves, doing personal growth. We've done a ton of weekends together and had a lot of honest conversations and he does work. I've done work on myself and it's just that, that has helped too. I mean, if you're not willing to look yourself in the mirror, although it's hard, um, sure. that's not going to work. Cause it's, it's hard I and mean, it's not an easy thing to kind of work together and raise a family together, sure. but we kind of enjoy it. Like we're, we're building something for our family. So yeah. it's, it's, I think it's got a lot more positives than the negatives and the negatives come up. You kind of have to just mit that, mitigate them and keep working on like, what did I do to contribute to this versus like blaming the other person? So, sure. yeah, no, that's great. You know, I, um, Liz, I think that's a really great spot to wrap up. Wrap up. But uh, the one one last question that I've got uh, that I ask everybody on the show is this: getting back to kind of the idea of small moves, just finding the finding the little stuff that can eventually make, you know, a critical mass sort of a change yep. over time. Um, what purchase have you or your husband made in recent memory? And recent is relative of a hundred dollars or less that's had the most dramatic impact on mm. some area of your life. Like it could be like, it could be professional. It could be personal. It could have absolutely nothing to do with anything that we've talked about today. Um, just to give you, just to give you a couple of quick examples, the real estate investor guy that I interviewed before that I mentioned, Jacob, he mentioned a $99 spreadsheet that he bought from sort of one of these real estate realtor investment gurus right. that helps him evaluate deals. It was $99. He's like, that spreadsheet cost me $99 and it saves me about four hours worth of work for every deal I do. He's like, yep. that has been a godsend. Or there's the other guy that I interviewed on episode six of the show, which is a friend of mine who's a stock trader. We spent an hour and 20 minutes talking about stock trading. And his answer to that question was the $25 net nature noisemaker that he finally that he bought and finally let his six month old sleep through the night so that he and his wife could finally get a night's sleep after six months. He's yeah. like, he's like, that has been the biggest change. Like that, that has made the most dramatic impact in my life. And it cost me 25 bucks off Amazon. Wow. Other, other things have been subscription services. Like, you know, the, the, the use of using Calendly to set appointments or yeah. something similar to it and has avoided 15 phone calls or emails back and forth scheduling things. Like it can be, it could literally be anything. I just like to keep the dollar amount relatively low so that if people are listening and they want to try to implement this thing, whatever it might be, it could hit a pain point without necessarily breaking the bank. Because if you're spending thousands of dollars a month on a problem, <clears throat> the problem will go away. You know, lots and of lots, course. lots and lots and lots of money can make almost any, any problem go away. Um, so yeah, I would can you say think of anything? Yeah, I would say it has to do more with like education. You know, I think of I think of books and and those sort of things. I, I think the first book that came to my mind, because really a, a twenty dollar book can put a lot of money in your pocket if you if you use the principles. We um we bought a we bought a book and listened to uh, Grant Cardone's The Ten Times Factor. I think it's called Ten X Factor. Ten X Factor. Ten X Ten X Factor. Yep, I've heard. That. And yep. you know we 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 read it together. So maybe we I bought two copies of it. Uh, you know, 40 bucks or something. And we really did some of the 
you know, the exercises that were in it. And, and, and at that point we were buying, we were like incremental, incremental, incremental purchases. And that really caused like the shift of the, uh, encouraged us to do like the 49 unit, which then has encouraged us to do something bigger. And I think that was the book and a lot of other things, but, but that was a book that really, really, I would say was the, was the, 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 the pivot for us to buy that building. Um, and obviously knowing the broker and all the things that have to happen to sure. buy a building, but that book for, you know, less than a hundred dollars caused us to think bigger, but not just think bigger with no responsibility, but to think like strategically bigger because the same effort, it just, it was more effort, but it was actually better results. And, and it actually was the same process that we were doing on smaller deals. So, you know, what can you do in a larger scale, but strategically that really blew our mind and, and not that we didn't think about that, but that gave us a different way to think of it. So it, it actually caused us to inspire us and ca- and cause action. So that is awesome. Liz, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on Jason. It's been a pleasure. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Liz. I know I really did. She has got one hell of a system going with regards to getting the DeRosa Group highly active in the investment real estate world. And remember that her podcast did launch last week, so do go ahead and give it a listen. You can find it at therealestateinvesther.com. TheRealEstateInvestHer.com is the website. You can find her show there and subscribe to it. I definitely recommend that you do that. And also go over to SmallMoves.co and sign up for the Small Moves email list. Uh, Next week is going to be the second month of the Small Moves book club. And you have to be on the email list to get those reports that are coming out. So go ahead and go over to SmallMoves.co and sign up for the email list. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. I will talk to you next time around. You've got this. 